I'm a fun guy. Uh, obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, it's just more questions you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. <laughs> I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gents. Episode number 26. That is 26. That is number 26. Yeah, it is number 26. Yes. Okay. Episode number 26. We are really excited for what is coming today. I am so excited to jump into questions. Um, First, just a little recap. Last week went fantastic. I was recording at 3 in the morning with my cousin (laughs) Jaden. But this week... It's not at 3 in the morning. We're here at 5 o'clock, which is a wonderful thing, which is a very, very wonderful thing. Um, But last week went really great. We learned about my cousin Jaden, and he had two house fires in both the homes that he grew up in. Both of them actually ended up burning down. And so if you haven't listened to that yet, go listen to it because it's a really awesome story and very inspiring the way that he has been able to overcome it. I just He's a good kid. We love Jaden. Big kisses, my boy. I know you're listening. Love you, my man. Um, And next week... We got some other cool things, which I'll talk about um, probably a little bit later, or I'll do a little announcement on Instagram. So just pay attention to that. But as for this week, we have my man, Mr. Richard Miller, and I'm very excited to be interviewing him today. He has an incredible story, and I only know snippets of it, so this is a treat for me. Um, Richard, if you could just introduce yourself real quick to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. My name's Richard Miller. I'm 38 years old. I grew up in Provo. I got seven little brothers, no sisters. So Dang. it was rough, rough house growing <laughs> up for sure. <laughs> Dang, you were the oldest of seven boys. Yeah. Wow, that's seven wild. Boys. That is we're wild. all two years apart. So yeah. It's yeah. a good distance. Good distance. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot like, of boys though. Yeah. A lot of boys. We had a mixture. I have six boys total. Okay. Six boys, so, but we also got four sisters. There's a lot of us. Just uh, that's in a big family. Too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's just a lot of us, and so big families. I'm with you on that. I'm yeah. with you on that. And so I met Richard just recently at True Religion. Oh yeah. Um, right. If you don't know True Religion, it's like our favoriteest, favoriteest breakfast place. Pancakes, Best breakfast place. Best breakfast ever. Place. It really is. Shout out to True Religion for sure. Indeed. <laughs> it seriously is. How long have you been there? I've been there for about three years. Okay, cool. And you've enjoyed it every I year? I love working there. Dope. Yep. Yeah, I and they do. all seem great because we met um, the owner right before we, we got properly introduced, and yep. he's yep. an awesome guy too. He seems like a stellar person. Yeah, he's amazing. He's done a lot for me and a lot for that store. So Yeah. I guess I guess to preface everything, he I know him and I guess true religion as a whole, they help people in similar situations to yourself be able to get back up on their feet. Um they run like a program alongside their working, is that right? Yes. It's called Second Chances mm-hmm. and they take people that struggle with addiction, have been locked up. And they help them out with financial, help them go through school, pay for my school. They have paid for my school. They mm. paid half my rent for like a whole year. Wow. They uh, helped me buy my truck. They they are just, they're amazing people. That program yeah. has done so much for me and, and changed my life in ways that they don't even know yeah. at all. 100%. So, Wow. It's a great program. I that is that. so cool. 
Yeah, and it sounded like they just are very much practice what they preach kind of people. Absolutely. Which is really cool. And so if you guys have us on Instagram, you saw me and Amelia enjoying her birthday the other day, and Richard happened to be our server. And uh, <laughs> we were yep. like, hey, by the way, I run this podcast. You should come on it and share and share your story. I heard you got some really, really awesome stuff. And so I actually would love, Richard, from wherever you'd like, wherever you'd like to begin, I'd love to be able to take, a, I guess, a dive back into your life and then yeah. things you've learned and just all that stuff. If you just want to take the floor, For I'll, sure. just, I'll just be here for the show. Okay. Well, we'll start at the very beginning. Um, I grew up, like I said, in Provo. Uh, I grew up in a real LDS family. I had to go to church every Sunday. They're very strict with that, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, my dad was uh, went on a mission. He served in Brazil. Uh, my parents were sealed in the temple. And so I had great environment growing up, mm. supposedly, but... Behind closed doors, things weren't as good as, as they seemed. seemed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, the abuse started with my dad about five. I remember the first time uh, some older kids told me to say the geo, that word. Mm-hmm. And I went around saying that anyways. My dad found out, came and grabbed me. And and I was five, and I still remember it grabbed and, and spanked me at the belt. Uh all up and down the backside of bruised my whole backside of my wow. and I remember going out to dinner that night and my dad I was, couldn't sit down and he just sat me down and then ever since then I don't know what it was he just everything I couldn't do anything right in his eyes I just I tried my hardest to yeah. always like why does my dad love me why does he keep putting hands on me why does he keep with this abuse he's very mm. mentally and physically abusive and uh, it was hard. I didn't know how to deal with it then. I just kept thinking I was doing something wrong and couldn't grasp what I was doing. Well, when you're that young, you don't have, like, a full understanding. It yeah. just doesn't, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so that happened, and that happened until, honestly, my dad left when I was 12 years old. He had an affair on my mother, Mm. which I heard when I was 12 years old. I heard it all go down in the bedroom at at midnight, I still remember. And my mom coming out and crying to me and telling me everything, mm. all everything my dad did, everything. And I'm this 12-year-old kid, and I'm just, like, taking it in. I don't know what to do. I'm just glad my dad's left because I don't have to deal with any more physical violence. And, yeah. and he was gone, and I just remember my mom, once he left— my mom leaned on the church a lot, which I'm very grateful. They they helped her through her time. Hmm. But I just remember for like two years straight, she was just always on the phone crying. It wasn't really paying attention to us kids, but my oh, dad yeah. upped and left. And he, my, I was 12, so we we're all two years apart. So it was hmm. 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, 2. And yeah, it was just a lot of kids. Yeah. And... I just started going and seeking the attention I craved that I should have got from home. Right. I just started doing it, seeking in the wrong people, and that was people that did drugs and that sought attention for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And so that's when it started. I got arrested, honestly, when I was uh, 13 years old. Really? And I got arrested for you can't laugh at me. I got so <laughs> I got 
caught stealing tanning lotion. Tanning lotion, <laughs> of all things. Yeah. Of all things, I was tanning at 13 years old, and I wanted some tanning lotion, and I went and stole it. But I got arrested and went to detention for it, and believe me, I did not tell them I was there for tanning lotion. I told them I stole, like, a pack of cigarettes or something like that. <laughs> Make yourself look as tough yeah. as possible. And then, honestly, once I got introduced to the, the – the, I went to detention. I got out, and I was just like – People knew I went to detention. I remember like, wow, look at all this attention I'm getting for being bad. And I was like, oh. And then after that, I just really, I had, I was an angry kid, Mm. obviously, because of the abuse from my dad. Right. And I did not respect any authority figures, any, anything like that. So I was an angry kid growing up and Mm. my poor mom and dad, honestly, but it was just rough growing up. Uh, so from, let's get back on track. 12, 13, I got arrested. I got introduced to the system. And then I got out and I uh, went back to school. Well, I never went to school. I would go through the f- go to school, get dropped off, go out the back and go with friends and smoke weed and do mm. the stuff teenage kids did back then. But... Uh, they put me on probation for sloughing school. Oh, yeah. They told me if I kept missing school that they would put me on probation. And I guess it is against the law to not go to school yeah. here in Utah. Yeah. So they did finally put me on probation for sloughing school. So now I'm in the system, and now I got a PO, mm. and I'm 13 years old, mm. about to start freshman year of high school. They, were, they got me in junior high for that stuff. Wow. So my, I remember my freshman year, right before I started freshman year, they put me on ankle monitor. No way. So yeah. So I was on ankle monitor and couldn't leave my house the whole summer prior to uh, uh, high school. Wow. So there's all that. I'm already in the system. Uh, school starts in high school. Yeah. And uh, I started high school and I went to Tempview High School and it's a very rich high school and I was super poor. My parents were very, very poor. But and so I always felt like I had to fit in, but I had to go steal my clothes. So I felt like I could fit in. And yeah. so that's what I do. I had to go steal and I was started stealing a lot and getting in more trouble and meeting mm. more bad people. And I shouldn't say bad people. I should say people that <laughs> going down the wrong path. Yeah. And just because, lost in yeah, because yeah. obviously I made it back. But uh, school... They finally just had enough of me, and then they were like, uh, we're going to send you to this program out in Marysville, Utah, called Elbow Ranch. It was like a boot camp for kids. Yeah. So the first thing they do when I showed up there, they shaved my head, no dressed way. me in army clothes, and they're like, you, we just cut sagebrush, and we just do chores around all this. It was in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. Well, yeah, Mary's... No one, Marysville, no one like, knows and Marysville. then <laughs> it was outside of Marysville and these two double wide trailers. Oh, really? Yeah, and so there was nobody out there but these people that were staffed there yeah. from the town. Right. Well, I was like the last person that graduated from that place because it got shut down because it was corrupt because it was so much violence oh, really? in that place. They would let things go on and that wasn't good, and I got to experience violence. Well, I got. I had to deal with my dad, and then I had to deal with being locked up. And being locked up and being in the boot camp, that just taught me to fight. That 
I everything I do to solve any problems was to fight yeah. and be like out of control and uh, just talking about yeah. it. But so that just happened, and I, they just continued the, the cycle. I did not continue do nothing different mm-hmm. until uh, I was eighteen. On my eighteenth birthday, my PO showed up to me and took me to jail, and I spent my eighteenth birthday in jail. Really. And they transferred me from a juvenile to adult probation and parole. So now mm. I'm on APMP for adults. Wow. And being in jail for the first time, obviously I was scared to death. But I started meeting all the wrong people in jail, yeah. obviously, because the crowd in there is not too good. Uh, so I did some time in there, got out, and uh, started using... That's when I fir- when I first got out of jail the first time. I got in- introduced to meth and heroin, hmm. and uh, some guy, older guy, I was hanging out with, uh, shot me up with heroin and cocaine for the first time, and I didn't even know really what it was. I was just like, okay, just let's do it, and I, uh, it was not a good experience. And then, ever since then, I just started committing crimes and mm. drug-related crimes because then I got hooked on heroin and yeah. meth. And when you're on that, it's a whole different person. Like, it's a whole yeah. different me. Uh, and so I just started the life of crime, honestly, yeah. and it's sad to say, but I just started committing crimes everywhere, yeah. in it, everywhere, and then started going in and out of mm. jail, going back and forth. And then finally, I got some big serious charges for like burglary, forgery, and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I was going to court for that, and then I went on the run. I was like, I'm not going to deal with the court, so I'm just going on the run. Yeah. So I went on the run for a while, ended up, I think Utah's most wanted. But anyways, I was coming back from Wendover. I had been up for a few days on drugs, mm. coming back. And I just remember, the last thing I remember was setting cruise control at 100 miles an hour. I remember my piece of crap car was shaking by river (laughs) but i was just driving and then i i guess i fell asleep and i rolled going 100 i got ejected from the car wow i got landed back on the freeway like thrown 20 feet from the car and i was life flighted to lds hospital and they said since i was so relaxed that i that I had been up for so many days that I was so relaxed that when I got thrown from the car, my body was so relaxed that it didn't break anything. Really? I didn't break anything. I had a lot of head trauma. Yeah. I had a lot of plastic surgery on my face. Um, But once they figured out who I – once I got done with surgery, I remember coming to one time and they were like, "Uh, we're going to put some handcuffs on you because they figured out who I was. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I was – they were looking for me big time. So – uh, they handcuffed me. They're like, is he good enough to go to the hospital in the jail? And they're like, yeah. So mm. that's all I remember. I remember rolled out. But my face was so, if you would see the picture, it was, it was so messed up. So messed up. I had no face. It well, was you look great swarm. now. Hey, yeah, stellar. well, thank you. A lot of scars <laughs> all over, but, uh, yeah, a lot of memories with those scars. Yeah. So I, uh, they will, and then that's when they first sentenced me to prison. Yeah. So. I went to prison for the first time. Now, when I first went to prison, they take your in Arno, it's called when you first get up there. It's in a state where they're waiting to place you in like 
housing. So you're just waiting to be housed in the certain areas. Mm. Well, the first people, like the new people that are for the prison, they take those like select a few that like pick one or two people to go be trustees, what it's called in death row. So what you do is you oh, go wow. in supermax, you uh, you live in the same cells as death row. So you have the blocks upstairs mm. and the downstairs and you live downstairs in the cell next to all death row inmates. Really? All of them. Every single one. And wow. I played chess with Ron Lafferty, like mm. the sci-fi murders. It, it was it was crazy. I was surrounded by death because they were all waiting to die. Yeah. Wow. Well, we get I get a phone call from a guard well a guard says you got a phone call and you don't get phone calls unless you get call collect and i was Hmm. like what it must be serious so they uh let me talk to my mom and i get on the phone with my mom and uh she's crying very uh, hysterically my uh, closest brother, the one that's four years below me, but he was my best friend, my closest brother, but he was on life support mm. from a drug overdose, and they didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. I like to tell this story just because I... So once that happened, they didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. They sent me back to my cell. As I was walking back to my cell, I don't know if the death row inmates could see or if the guard said something to him but every single one of those death row inmates came down to my cell and gave me something either something to sleep something to read and they were just so compassionate mm-hmm. and it blew my mind like these people are dying and they they know what i'm going through right now and it was mm-hmm. just i felt connected there well the following next day uh my mom they let me talk to my mom again and they said that he didn't make it. Hmm. So uh, I had a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt and shame over it because I was the first one that introduced him to drugs. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and so it was very hard. My mom, it destroyed our whole family. It really did. Um and I was in prison. I couldn't go to the funeral. I was the only one that couldn't go to the funeral. Hmm. Um, yeah. I just remember my mom would call up to the prisons and they would let her, they would let me use the phone because they knew I was going. And she was just like, I just need to hear your voice. And just to hear my mom go through all that and I wasn't able to be there for her. And all the guilt from thinking I was my fault. Hmm. Um, so honestly, ever since then, and that was right when I first went to prison for the first time, I totally gave up. I threw in the towel. I did not care. I did not nothing. Hmm. I got involved in gangs in prison right, right, right after that. I started getting involved in gangs, and then gang life up in Utah State Prison is no fun. It's just not... It's not anything to mess around with. It's it's very violent and scary, and and I was just in a dark place. I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about anything. So the, I think the first time I went up there, I did five years. I got out for maybe 40 days, and I was strung out in prison. 
So mm-hmm. when I left prison, I'm strung out. Where's the first place I'm going to go is the drug house. So yeah. I I go to the drug house and I don't care. I just keep going. So 40 days later, I'm back in prison with new charges. Mm-hmm. And I, I did two years again, got out. I was out maybe 50 days, went back for three years with new charges. Every wow. time I went back, I bring back new charges. Yeah. Uh, did three years that time. And I think I got out. And for a little bit again and went back for another three hmm. and they finally terminated me. And so I eventually did, I think, 12 years in this in prison and they finally terminated me. So I was finally 32 years old and I finally was done with the system. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what to do. I've been locked up my whole life and they just in and out of lockup like I didn't know. I didn't ever. I hadn't even had a driver's license. I've never had a bank account. I'm 32 years old. We were just talking. You never had smartphones and stuff. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. Whole, I went to prison when they went with a flip phone, and I just <laughs> barely learned T9 texting. I was so happy about that. <laughs> then I get out, and I was like, "What is this computer screen?" It was yeah. just a big. I was like, wow, but I was so frustrated with it. I remember I was like, I don't want it, and I went and bought flip phones, and I stayed with the flip phones for a while until I I learned how to use those phones. But, yeah. (laughs) Totally, though. Yeah, technology these days is crazy to me, especially, yeah. I still don't know half the stuff at all. Mm. I'm just learning. So, yeah, I did all that time in prison. Uh, I uh, Half my brother's... Uh, went down the same road I did. Um, actually, I can honestly say every single one of our brothers has dealt with some kind of addiction. Yeah. So obviously there was some trauma growing up in our family that every one of our brothers has dealt with some yeah. kind of addiction to deal with the stuff that went on. Yeah. Um, but so where was I? I just got out of prison, did 12 years. Um, yeah. So I got out. Hmm. I still, I didn't know what to do. And so I tried, I, I, I got a job. I moved to Layton. I thought maybe I'll get away. And so I moved up to Layton with this guy that I was in prison with that hmm. had turned his life around, but, uh, went up there, lived with him, was working with him, but he ended up relapsing and using drugs. And then yeah. two people together that are addicts, we just started using together and, and off I went again. Hmm. Well, this time I got arrested again. Again. So I'm like, oh my gosh, they're gonna put me away in prison for a long time. Yeah. I thought I wasn't, I wasn't getting out. For some reason, I got a chance at drug court, huh. which was a blessing. They, they first denied me at drug court. They, they, yeah. they denied me, and then right before I went to sentencing to get sentenced for my new charges. Drug court showed up and they're like, no, we approved you. And I was like, what? Oh, what the heck? Yeah. So instead of going to prison for probably seven years, they gave me a shot at, at rehab and drug court. Mm-hmm. And I've never done any rehab, nothing like that. And so they put me in drug court and uh, I thrived at first. I was doing great. I hadn't relapsed. Well, then I ended up relapsing, and I just it relapsed one time. But mm. I, in my head, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go back to prison again. They gave me another shot, and I messed it up, and I relapsed. Right. Yeah, you start overthinking that. All of process. it. And so I was like, oh, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. I've had enough of life, and and I went and got enough heroin to kill four people, and I shot it all up wow. to kill myself. Boy, it killed myself. 
Uh, but some person had seen me slumped over in the car and opened the car, and I, they guess I was purple, and they pulled me out, called the paramedics. It took them five Narcan shots. That's the shots they give you for, like, opiates that bring you back. Yeah, yeah. It took them five Narcan shots, like 30 minutes of CPR for them to revive me. Wow. And uh, I remember waking up in the ambulance and coming to for a sec, but then I remember waking up in the hospital, and I was handcuffed again to the bed, and I had my PO there. And I was looking around the room like, are you kidding me? Like, I wanted to die. And like, and I wake up. And I wake up. I'm like, alive. Yeah. I'm like, Ugh. I was I was frustrated. Well, once they released me from there, they made me spend because I was in drug court. They made me spend 10 days in jail. And from the CPR and all that, they had cracked my sternum. I had cracked yeah. my ribs. Yeah. And when they put me in jail for that 10 days, I was they put me in suicide watch because obviously I was trying to kill myself. But I couldn't move. So I was in, like, suicide. And I, for 10 days, I literally did not move. I couldn't yeah. sit up. They were, like, feeding me like that. Wow. Is suicide watch, do they have you, like— In a dress. And okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. It doesn't yes, have this, any strings. No. doesn't have any— Okay. It's yeah. this little— plastic dress yeah. that you wear nothing no underwear nothing mm. and they just all put you in a tank so you have like six people in there with dresses on but yeah anyways did the 10 days got out and uh i honestly that's my turning point is when i was like look i either i either am gonna make it or mm. i'm not like i either gotta i gotta figure this out like do i want to live or do i want to die yeah. And uh, honestly, in the last couple of years, that's that's what I struggle with the most is depression and getting out of myself and suicide. I've mm. attempted it numerous times, done it to myself a few times, but I never die. Everybody thinks I'm a like they always say I'm a cat and <laughs> yeah, like, nine lives because I cannot die. You still that, got several. That car wreck should have killed me. If I would have had my seatbelt on, I would have died right. because it was flattened. Um, it just So I'm here for a reason, and I just – finally am now figuring out like yeah. what i'm here for and what i need to do but uh where was i at I you said that was that was like the moment where you kind of oh finally... yeah where i turned my life around yeah. yeah so i went over to true religion well i got brought over to true religion through one of the managers that was there they were like hey you should come over to true religion and work here yeah. i'm like what is true religion is it a Jeans? I'm like, like, no, it's a restaurant. <laughs> That's what Amelia said when we went. Every time, yeah. Anytime Jeans? anybody asks me, yeah. I'm like, I work at True Religion. They're like, what? Can you get me a discount? I'm like, no. It's food, food. <laughs> so I went there, and yeah. uh, I started working there as a server, and I still work there to, the, to this day as a server, yeah. and I enjoy every minute of it. But when I first got there, they had the second chance program going, but they had this mm. other guy that was the second chance guy that they were helping out. Um, but he eventually had went back down the wrong path, and, and it sucks, and he ended up in prison. But mm. he's doing well now. He's wrote us. He's wrote True Religion a few times, and yeah. we've read the letters, and it seems like he's doing good. But they asked me— once he was out of the picture to step in and be the second chance. Now for me, I can't, it's hard for me to accept help. Like, like, I don't know. I don't like to say like I'm struggling or anything like yeah. that. Like yeah. I'm learning now to work through it, but I'm not very good at 
accepting help. I'm like, I can do it. Well, I your, can, well I, your whole life you were kind of like always trying to figure it out your own way because X, Y, Z went wrong. And so you're like, okay, my whole life I've kind of been trained to yeah. mentally will myself through it. And so it's, it's, a, tar, it's a hard change. It's a hard yeah. change. Super hard change. Uh, now I just bury these brain fart where were we at? <laughs> you got accepted you they asked you to be the um person for oh yeah second chance second chances yeah yeah so we started there and uh they started helping out with rent they started and at first i was just like i don't deserve second chance honestly i felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I have done so much wrong and so much everything that I didn't deserve to be the second chance guy. Like mm. mentally, that's where I was at. That's what I, I always battle with with myself is like is staying positive and, and staying because I've been, like you were saying, in the negative lifestyle for so long that when positive's there, I'm like, oh, something's going to go wrong. Yeah. Something definitely is going to go wrong with that. And so – I just accepted it. I started slowly just accepting the help and be like, okay, I do need help. (laughs) Will you help me with this? And they just started helping me. And slowly but surely, I just have been just changing. Like Mm. my criminal thinking, I have not had any criminal thinking probably for now almost three years. And it just seems like a whole new other me i was just talking with my brother before i came here about that like if they only knew like the old me i was crazy i can't even think of how i was yeah like how i'm just not that person anymore and it's been a slow but slow but awesome climb like i've had my struggles sure but i'm just learning that I'm dealing with life because every I I started life honestly when I was 32 years old. Like when mm. I finally got done with the system and I was out and dealing with life now. So I probably have like four years of life under my belt. Wow. And so I'm just like trying to catch up, but not trying to catch up too fast. So I'm not don't overwhelm yourself. Overwhelm myself, and I'm very good at doing that. <laughs> um. So I I got married. Mm. I. Honestly, my, my wife and uh, rehab. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. They say it's not a good thing, which is probably not <laughs> because you're both in an unhealthy situation at the moment and yeah. you shouldn't be thinking about relationships. <laughs> so it probably wasn't a good thing at that point, but we stuck with it and we're still married to this day. And we, Heck yeah. it's awesome. We just had our three year anniversary and uh, she's an amazing person and we've We've had our struggles and our battles, but well, I'm learning like it's your life partner. You just got to figure it out. Like it doesn't matter. Struggles, battles are part of it. Yeah, I'm learning. That's what I'm learning. Like life throws you different curveballs, and I didn't. I didn't know that. I was just like, oh, I thought life was just smooth sailing. Everything was yeah. good because I never really lived it, and so mm. I'm getting to live it now, and I love it. Because, look, I'm on BYU campus. I'm a diehard <laughs> BYU fan. Go Cougars. I, I noticed the tattoos. Yeah, I got a tattoo of Cosmo on my hand, I love ladies it. and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy uh, transition. Yeah. And so you guys met in rehab. You've been married for three years now. Yep. Still going strong, which is awesome. Um, I guess I'm trying to I, – I guess just thinking about the whole situation, it's, like, very, very cool to you or to me. I'm wondering how you see – Nowadays, I'm sure you're starting to develop 
purposes and look back on your situation and see like, okay, maybe this happened for this reason, which mm-hmm. I'm starting to see now. I think about all the times where you were either attempting or almost dead or mm-hmm. dead in, yeah. a, in a sense, right? Um, did your heart ever flatline, by the way, at that point? Oh, yeah, I was done. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. And yeah. then they did the CPR few resuscitate times, yeah. I think I overdosed a couple times, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Purpose, so. so when you look at back at all of those experiences and see where you're at now, how are you or what do you think when you're like, maybe there's a reason? What are the reasons you start to piece together? Why did I make it through? Why did I make it when others don't make it? Why am I still alive today? <sighs> That's a great question. <laughs> a lot of people have been asking me that lately too and it's uh, I honestly feel in my heart is to work with with kids when they were in prison when I was in prison they do they they had a choices program up there where they got they took four inmates out and they went and talked to high school kids yeah. so I talked to high school kids across this valley every high school even to Tempview and uh that's my passion is the kids because that's where it's at. That's where I am still on. I'm 38 years old, but sometimes, some days, most days, I feel like I'm 12 mm. when it comes to certain situations. And I just feel embarrassed. But it's just, it, that the kids, that's where it's at. They just need love and attention growing up. That's all I needed. That's all I, that's all I needed. Yeah. It was my mom and dad to be like, hey, I love you or something like that. And that's all, that's all kids need. Yeah. And uh, I just have a passion for kids, and I think that's where I'm meant to be is to work with, like, the troubled youth because I know I went through what you guys know. Like, yeah, yeah. that's where it is, kids, for that is sure. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. And so now you're able to use those experiences and apply it to, to them yeah. and, and help them, you know, from obviously not going down the same path and doing the same things and kind of preventing a lot. Um Another question I have that's somewhat a selfish question, but I I have I think I told you while we were eating, um, I have several siblings who have been through prison and who have been through jail and that whole process as well. And for you, I guess, what would your advice be to people who are going through similar things with drugs and alcohol addictions? Once you're out of prison, what is your advice to people of like how they can be able to not relapse again? Or or, or I guess what would you say that, that helped oh, you the most? Such a perfect question because that's exactly why I wanted to get out there is yeah. because that is the number one thing that kept me out was when you relapse because I'm not – I hate to say this, but yeah, when you do relapse, when you get out, don't throw your life away. Hmm. Like you're just relapsing. It doesn't throw everything away that you've been working towards or have dealt with. Just because you used one time doesn't mean to throw everything away. Hmm. Like you made a mistake, own it, figure out why you relapsed, and move forward from that. Because that's what us convicts and people with addiction, when we relapse for that first time, especially if we've had two years clean, oh my gosh, you relapsed after two years it's oh like my gosh! Everybody. Waste of time. Is yeah. What, yeah, but it's not. Hmm. It's just a relapse. It's just a lapse in judgment, and don't let it take you further than that. Right. That's the best advice I can really give. Hmm. Do not let it take you because it's taken. And I know all the addicts that are listening to this or people they know when you relapse, you have so much shame and guilt. 
that you don't want to tell anybody, too. That's another thing that when you first relapse, just tell somebody. I don't care who it is. Just go out and be like, hey, even if it's a stranger, I relapse on drugs just to own it and get it out there so you can move forward yeah. and get on with your life. Yeah. Because you can get stuck in that very quick, very fast. Totally. A lot of people put the whole, I mean, with unfortunately not realizing like, oh, actually, rather than focusing on the one time I relapsed, how about I focus on the time where two years I was clean, right? Yeah. Look at how much progress I came yeah. from uh, two years before when exactly. I was every single day, but now it's only been once in two years. But 100% you think that, I I think that we as people, we're great at wanting to set goals, but when we set goals, they sometimes are a little way too unachievable in yep. the sense of like, it's good that you're setting big goals, However, on your progress to achieving that goal, expect to mess up a few times. Absolutely. Um, obviously, don't you know? excuse yourself and, and pity yourself or anything like that. But if you do mess up, that's just, that's just life, like you're yeah. saying. If you relapse, if you have an issue again, if you're trying to accomplish something and you mess up on something, I can't explain to you guys how many times I've messed up on this flipping podcast. And some of those days, in a similar sense, I guess trying to compare both yeah. situations, in a similar sense, you're like, oh, I should probably just stop because it's too difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but really, it's like, take that. I, I love what you said. Just own up to it. Say it to somebody and then and then make the moves necessary to be able to just keep yeah, progressing. Just let it go. Just mm. let it be. Just own it and let it be. When, when you were going through that, was that hard? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Mm. Still hard. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And you're just like, every once in a while, I have to just remind yourself, I yep. guess. And so how do you... What are the steps that you take currently to to remind yourself of like, hey, this is where I've been. I'm going to do everything I can to just stay away from it and, and, and move forward. Me and the wife honestly have been meditating. Meditation is my biggest key for hmm. everything because my anxiety, I have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of panic attacks. I was getting seizures and uh, we didn't know where they were from. So I had all this brain MRIs and all this stuff and they... Come to find out, it's it's anxiety and panic attacks that makes my brain seize out, and I couldn't, like, yeah. and I kept having seizures. And so meditation has been huge for me to get me grounded and, and staying in the now because yeah. that's the only thing that matters is right totally. now. It's the only thing that I can control is right now. Yeah. And I'm a control freak, and I want to control everything <laughs> in the past, the present, future, all of it. <laughs> yeah. You and wanna... so when I don't have control, my anxiety goes, oh, my gosh. But I'm just – when I meditate, I just can let it go, yeah. breathe through it, and get grounded yeah. and be like, look, I'm meditating right now. I'm staying. I'm enjoying this. And it pulls me out of it. Mm. It's crazy. I don't need any medication, and it works. Yeah. So – I think meditation is huge because I think it's one of the only, it's one of the only times throughout the day, as you're now discovering, technology's made the world very busy and and, and people are always on their phones and people are always, there's noise all the time like yeah. in my car I want to listen to music or I want to do this or, you know all this stuff and and every once in a while it's, or if not every day all the time it's very necessary that we take a step away from all that because when you're in the quiet when you're just relaxed then you're actually able to gather thoughts and put them together clearly. Absolutely. Me, you can ask Amelia, I'm the worst when it comes to like, whenever if I'm rushed, oh my word. If I'm rushed or if I'm late for something, if I'm like that, I get so frustrated, my thoughts aren't clear, and I start snapping a little bit quicker, and I, I can be quick to anger. And, and it's, you know, 
and I don't like that I do that, but it's I those moments it. of the forms of meditation where I, I take a step back and my thoughts are able to gather and I'm able to realize, okay, you're doing too much. You're trying to control, like you're saying, the past, present, and future. You're trying to control things that you can't. How about you, let's just focus on the now? Absolutely. You, <laughs> your brain is just wired just like mine. Because <laughs> on the way here, I had to do my meditations in the car because yeah. I'm like, don't overthink it because I'll overthink it. I'm mm. like, do say this, do this. No, just go be you and yeah. tell your story. Yeah. Get it out there. If you say you want to start a podcast like I want to start, mm-hmm. get out and do it. But yeah. it would, it, I was dragging my feet. I was... And yeah, and the phone thing that that reminds me of. That's one thing. The wife, I'm never really on my phone because I don't know social media. I don't really yeah. know any of that, so I never have my phone. Yeah. And obviously, I didn't have my phone. I didn't realize I lost it when I was trying to get a hold. Like you were trying to get a hold <laughs> yeah. of me, I lost my phone because I'm never on it. Yeah. And so I always have it on silent. I just don't care about it. Yeah. And it's just it's just a big distraction, but it is. A lot of people are always on their phones. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah. I just don't know it, so maybe I got lucky. <laughs> totally. Hey, and that in the the phone. We're not, I don't want to get. I don't want to take away from anything and get into this. But the phone, you people know that as well. That's an addiction. Absolutely. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I guess I I would as well like to ask a little bit more, backtracking a little bit oh. to to your whole story. Nowadays, um, have you been able to have a better relationship with the rest of your family, with your mom and and everybody? So, I haven't talked to my mom, I don't think, in six months. Mm. And my brother that's right below me that I grew up real real close with, I discontinued talking to him completely because Mm. he's still using drugs. Oh, yeah. And my mom still – she's – my mom's – a lovely lady. She's very LDS. Mm. Doesn't allow like PG third. She's very strict with yeah. her religion, and but she enables us kids because losing my brother destroyed her. So instead of she thinks we're, she's going to lose us, I know that's what she's thinking. So she lets us do whatever we want. Right. So right. she lets my brother still live there and all that stuff. So I had to set boundaries and I. Learn what mm. boundaries were in rehab and mm. how to set them and stick with them. Setting is the easy thing. Yeah. Hey, I can do. I'm going to do this. This is well, now, at, at three a.m. Everybody thinks about that. Yeah, <laughs> is a whole different story. Yeah. Uh, oh wow. Okay. So that's pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. Just to see, and 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 her situation obviously just you know I'm sure she still feels some of the blame herself and she still feels that and so it's like yeah. So right now I'm just keeping myself safe with my family. Yeah. Until at a point where I feel comfortable enough with myself that I can go around them and not get triggered. Right. Because that's right. why I'm staying away from them, obviously. Because when I go around my mom, it brings back old stuff. And I just, just don't – I just don't feel right. And I'm learning that I can take time for myself. It's okay. Yeah, it's like not if I don't want to, If I don't want to rust the relationship right now, I don't mm. need to. Uh, like I'm figuring out me right now. 100%. I'm figuring out how me works. Yeah. Totally, which is a good thing. It's yeah. a healthy thing. Yeah, for sure. Oftentimes, Hard, but healthy. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think oftentimes we, as people, because because we are people are people people, and we like being associated with other people, and I think that sometimes we get a little too caught up in, in compromising our standards in order to be around A, B, and C. Yep. And sometimes in order to have a relationship, people will think, 
well, not in order to have a relationship, but in order to break maybe their bad habits, they think being around other people is good at that time. But sometimes it's good to be able to, like you're saying, figure yourself out first, and then you get back into those relationships. Yes. Because you're confident, they're confident, no one's going to be emotionally relying on the other person. Exactly. Um, you should be able to be emotionally self-reliant upon yourself um, before, and then as well you can provide sucker and help other people, of course. Yep. Um, but it's just healthier. As yeah, as you've been absolutely, able to see. way healthier. And then any any other communication? I assume not is what my assumption is. But any other communication with your father at all? Actually, that's my father. That's a good question. Uh, we actually talk a lot, and really? I wow, I forgave him. I forgot to talk about, it, but yeah, I think it was honestly probably like for when I was in drug court just recently. Like I totally like forgave him like look he's a parent like i understand like he didn't have no manual how to raise kids he just got taught what he got taught right which was violence and the same thing i just he didn't apply it as much as i didn't get as bad as he got it right and so uh sorry i just went brain fart (laughs) you're good my brain i i think of too much stuff i'm like i gotta say this and then my brain wipes clean and i completely forget what i'm talking about it happens to me all the time but i think i was talking about my dad yes yeah so (laughs) but uh my dad so we talk now uh on a regular basis i just went out and seen him i've seen him probably twice in the last year he lives in new mexico and we it's like a six-hour drive so I've brought my wife out there to meet him. And wow. uh, so we're trying to build a relationship. Our relationship is more like shake hands. I don't think I really even hugged my dad. Mm-hmm. He barely did. I remember he went, when I got out of prison for the first time, uh, I was on the phone with him and he he told me he loved me. And I think that was the first time he ever told me that. Wow. And when he told me that, I just turned on the phone. I really did and started crying to my mom. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know that was weird words I've been waiting to hear my whole life, and he finally told me. But he says it all the time now, and mm-hmm. he's changing, and I can see that. And that's why I go around my dad, and I, I can see that he he's changing. He wants to be involved in our yeah. kid's life and stuff like that. And as is my mom, I'm watching, and she's still stuck in her old ways and not being mm-hmm. able. And that's why I – I can go see my dad, and right now I can't see my mom until I feel like she's in the right place that she'll be able to hear me and we can work through stuff. Yeah. But I just don't think we're at that point. Mm-hmm. And so, but my dad is for <laughs> shockingly. Yeah. Some and so, or not. yeah. So, mm-hmm. I'm me and my brother that I live with are building a relationship with my, with our dad, which is cool. Yeah. Which is so, awesome. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. My dad in my life for sure. Totally. And I guess, I mean, because that, that, that to me, that to me <laughs> is uh, a podcast. It's called Life Must Go On. And the whole purpose is, well, ultimately, you explained it tonight. You've explained what life must go on means. And a part of that process, I don't want to ever, I say this a million times on like every episode, but I have to say it again. I don't want people to think that it's just like, oh, life must go on. But life must go on. The words itself yes. make you feel as if it's like pushing you, right? Absolutely. And so it's so cool to see that not only have you been able to overcome so many challenges and, and, and become something greater and realize like, hey, there's more to this life thing than what I thought. Yeah. And there's more to this world than I thought. But as well, along the way, 
every person I know that has done something really amazing, their very first thing they want to do is share it with other people. And so like you overcoming something, you're like, I need to help kids. And then as well, the other part is repairing past situations. And so just just hearing that, you know, with your dad, you you guys are starting to be able to develop things. And through your experiences, I'm going to assume, through your experiences of like, if I was able to change from the person that I can that I was, yeah. then how can I, you know, judge my dad and not expect him to have that same mercy, have that same chance to change as well? Yeah. And together, you guys, in a sense, have had this switch of life must go on. Let's learn from the mistakes that we've done in the past, and and let's make a difference in the future, so that way the next generation can have it off better when you have kids. And exactly. And uh, do you have kids, by the way? No. Nope, okay. No kids. If you want kids, yeah, absolutely. And and if you do have kids one day, now you have these tools that, at first, you know, it sucked to get those tools, yeah. <laughs> but now you have really strong and reliable tools because of what you went through. Yeah. The way I look at it is, I think our challenges help us, and I think our challenges give us tools necessary for the future. And in order to make tools, I think of like a blacksmith, right? Mm-hmm. When a blacksmith makes a really strong tool. He puts it in the hottest fire, and inside the fire, it, you know, it's so hot, and there's nothing in there that can survive except for that tool. And so in our challenges, we are the ones in that fire, and we're getting burned so badly that nothing else besides our pure selves can can come out. And then we have that tool necessary to be able to benefit the rest of our lives. Um, great analogy. Oh, well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> I just came up with that on the fly. Didn't you write it down? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I really appreciated your story. And I want to make sure, Amelia, what time are we at? Okay, perfect. Um, and so I guess just, just ultimately wrapping up, it's cool to see the way that, you know, you've been able to recognize and look back at your life and see how the challenges that I guess started off with abuse and things, started off into in, into then um, drugs and, and hanging out with the wrong people. All of these things um, are not uncommon, but you being able to make the switch is what is uncommon. Absolutely. Um, not a lot of people are, and so it's really amazing, I'm, and I'm grateful that you're able to share that story with us because we learned a lot from it. I benefit from it, and, and my listeners will, will be able to benefit a lot from it. 100%. for having me, for sure. 100%. Awesome. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you very much. And uh, you have anything else for me? Anything else for the fans you'd like to share? Mm, yeah, one more thing. Yeah. Please. On the relapse thing, when I said you're going to relapse, like he said, do not use that as an excuse to go out and use. I'm just <laughs> letting you know that you will relapse, but don't use that as an excuse to go use, please. Yes. It's not. I'm just hey, have a plan in place for when it does. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> 100%. Thank you. Yeah. Well, everybody, you heard it. And once again, very grateful. Thanks so much, Richard, for giving Thanks us for the whole me. story and, and explaining everything. It was awesome. Thank you very much. Um. Obviously, guys, next week is going to be great as well as we do. Pay attention on Instagram. We're going to drop some really cool information, and then uh, we're ready to go. So thank you again, Richard. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Life must go on. Woo!